Uh, Father, we just thank you so much, God, just uh, for the time that we can uh, hear uh, your Holy Spirit being uh, uh, used through uh, our brother. God, we just pray, God, that you will just fill him with your spirit. And uh, God, that we will all just be convicted uh, to the core. And God, to understand that uh, even at this conference here, uh, it's the now conference, God. Mm -hmm. And that we can all have those deep convictions that we walk away out of this room and do whatever it is, God, your spirit guides us and do it now. But we love you so much, God. Fill Bob with your spirit again, God. And we pray these things through your son. Amen. 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 Um, so I, if nothing else, I've got the coolest title, right? Yeah. Let me see. Uh, let me see. Yeah. Now that's what I call a man. I couldn't remember what it was, but I knew, I knew it was cool regardless. Um, so, you know, it, you think about if we have some time at the end, I do want to kind of open it up, and I'll try to kind of have uh, a little dialogue going if we can. Um, but I want you to take a moment and just think about what does the world say, or what does the world, how does the world describe a man today? All right, I just want you to write that down. Just take some notes, think about what that is. And then as you're writing that down, I'll throw out another question. What, what does, how does God describe a man, Right? Just a little bit about me, well, I guess I should share. My name is Bob Shanks. Uh, my wife and I are currently in, maybe it's best I do walk around a little bit, um, uh, in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, we've had a unique journey how God has worked. Uh, we actually left Columbus, Ohio. We were converted there uh, 21 years ago. Ended up in Philadelphia, serving there for a while. Actually ended up here in Virginia Beach for a couple years. Yeah, is why I know some of these guys yeah, right here. Yeah. And um, so it was a blast. Had a great time. God had asked us or called us to go into back to Ohio and Toledo, and I and I said no. And then um, actually Mike Fontenot, God was you know using him. So Mike came and said, Bob, I really think you should go back to Ohio. And I was like, No thanks, Mike. <laughs> and uh, so he came a third time. I'm like, Ah, oh, Mike just you know doesn't give up. And he's like, Bob, I really think that uh, you need to go back home to your peeps. <laughs> you know, that's, that's your people. I'm like, those, those, they ain't my people. I grew up there, and I grew up, I, I, I had a really rough upbringing. They, they probably don't want me back. Matter of fact, I'll tell you, I just, we just moved to Columbus, Ohio. Just kind of give you a perspective of what it was like when we went back to Columbus, Ohio. I had people come to church where I started preaching at because they were told that Bob is not, not just a Christian, he actually is a minister. And they're like, that, that is a flat out lie. So they, they wouldn't believe, they wouldn't believe it when people said that he's actually a minister, he's actually preaching the word. That's, I've got to see it for myself. So I literally, which was really cool that people would come to church, you know, be there. But it was also odd because, you know, I, I've lived a very sinful life and did a lot of crazy things. And the people that I, you know, I did those crazy things was there, which... Unfortunately, none of them became Christians, but it was just odd to see that they actually would not believe. That's, I lived such a crazy life, they would not believe that I, I was a different person. So we ended up eventually, after I told Mike three times we're not going to go to Toledo, we thought, well, maybe God wants us to do that. So God put things into place. We got to go there. Actually, I just, uh, it was amazing. I think we, we, the church was like 40-some people we got there. It was like 75 when we left a couple years later, a few years after that. Actually, one of the best studies I've ever had saying Bible with somebody is this guy right here. Jeff. Amen. One of the easiest studies. Here's, here's what I did, right? This, by the way, this has nothing to do with the lesson. So I just, I just took my 45-minute lesson and stretched it. So bear with me. Um, so when I started studying, Jeff, Jeff was a persecutor of the church, all right? And so he persecuted us. He, he's like, this, this church is crazy. He actually 
and I didn't plan on sharing this yet, but you've been very open, so he's a very humble guy. He actually, his goal was to pull, his wife was a disciple first. His goal was to purposely pull his wife away, and he was actually successful at that, right? But something happened where his daughter was also a disciple. He ended up in church one day. He couldn't stop coming. Just, he could not believe it. And so when we sat down to study the Bible, I actually gave him the word study and just go, go home and study it. He came back and shared the word study with me exactly how I would actually study it with him. I was shocked. So I said, okay, here's discipleship. Boom, he came back. He was like, I'm not a disciple. You know, you know this, is, this is amazing. I've never said the Bible like that where I actually just gave somebody the word. They came back. And I was like, yeah. so sure enough, we didn't finish the Bible study series, by the way. And he got baptized. We finished it afterwards, for those of you who might be worried about that. <laughs> but, uh, but it went so well. that I, I was like, man, he's the closest thing that I could ever get to an Ethiopian oh, eunuch, right? Man. I mean, it was just, it was just amazing. So, uh, so then we leave, leave Toledo and end up in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, we've been there now for two years. Very similar. The church has been through some difficult times. But uh, we, it's, it's, it's uh, so encouraging. It's been the most challenging time of my life. As a man of God, as a husband, as a parent, as, as a minister, but the most fulfilling time. Mm-hmm. And so it was just, just it's, I can't even explain the challenges, but yet seeing God work. It's to the point where what helps me so much is I am 100% confident that, I, that God has placed me in Columbus, Ohio. Right. Wow. I mean, I, there is all clarity. And not only has he placed me there, as I'm confident he placed me there, I understand why he's placed me there. And you know what? Those are things, especially as a man, you try to figure out the when, where, is why. What's my purpose, all these things. And I, and I tell you, it's helped me to have that clarity because it hasn't been easy. It's been extremely difficult. But like I said, it, it has been very fulfilling. But you think about it. You know, what's the qualities of a man? What's, when you think about... The definition of a man, I, I kind of researched a little bit, and you know, I thought of some different things, but I just wanted to share with you what I found in the Urban Dictionary, which I usually don't recommend. Actually, I don't recommend it at all. The Urban Dictionary for anything, particularly the Urban Bible. Urban Dictionary is kind of like the message version of the Bible for the dictionary, if that makes sense. But here it says, a man that contains qualities which they desire, rather arranging from having money, to be in a person of affection, kind, good father, faithful, muscular, tall, dark, handsome, and etc. However, when you look up the word real, which is, this is all in there, by the way, and, and the crazy thing is, is they give you like 10 different definitions, and you get to go on a rate which one you like. So you can, make, you can choose whatever definition you want. But this is the one I had chose that it just seemed very worldly. How the world looks at this versus how we as men of God should look at this. And so, you know, the word, the definition of genuine or for the real is genuine, right? And so uh, the next word, if you look up the word man, it gives the definition of male. So if you sum up, it's a real male. It's a genuine person. It's a genuine man, right? So that's really what they're trying to say in the sermon. It's someone who is genuine, right? We, We might... We might want to describe that as somebody with some character, right. somebody with dependable, dependable, trustworthy, right? Somebody you know is going to is going to follow through with what they say, right? But you know, I also thought about as I'm growing up. So if you have any younger any younger people in here, they may not relate to this. But how many of you remember the show Seinfeld? Sure. Right? Can somebody just tell me 
quickly, because I know this is, this is a very short answer, so if you get windy on me, you're not actually answering the question. What's Seinfeld about? Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Justin, nothing. nothing. Is, it, you just, is that the answer? Yeah, yeah it's actually right. Yeah. The show's about nothing. It was the one, one of the most watched shows of men. Yeah, right? right? Men, men love that show. Right? Because it's about nothing. Right. What do you like to do on your day off? Nothing. nothing. You know, what, 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 how many of you, would? I wonder how many people didn't come here or to a class right now because they're somewhere watching a football game and doing nothing, right? It's, we, 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 we're known as being mindless, right? We just love to have mindless things just to do, to do nothing. And that's kind of how the world has portrayed us. They've also portrayed us kind of like a Homer Simpson, right? right? You know, I, I've never seen this show, but I've seen, I've seen the previews of the show, um, uh, Two and a Half Men. How is that? How is he portrayed? Nothing. Pretty much like you know, it, it's all sexual, right? From my understanding, if I just the previews, right? So, so we the world kind of describes us how they want to describe us, and you know, it undermines who a man is, and uh, it doesn't give us much value. Right. So my first point today is, what is a man? I thought about how I was going to incorporate the word now in that, but how, what is a man now? Maybe if you guys like that, we can, we can do that. So what I'm going to do is, again, something about me is, is you know, I'm an un, uneducated man, right? I, I, you know, I'm not a person. I never read a book before in my life until I picked up the Bible. So how to make it through school? Well, you can figure out real quick how to make it through school. A lot of guessing, a lot of lying, a lot of cheating, right? So... So now I don't know what it is, but so when I study things out, I, I've got to have an understanding. And what, what's amazing about it is, is, is it's hard work for me to study out something, right? There's, there's men who could probably do something much quicker, you know, but for me, it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. And so I don't just read the Bible and say, God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want to know what that means, Come on, brother. right? So... So I study that out. I mean, I will study it through Hebrew. I, I will study it out until I figure out what I believe God means. And so that's what I'm going to do today is I'm actually going to share biblically what a man of God is. Right? We're going to look at words that you and I probably would take for granted as we read over. Like, for example, the word man. Do you know what the word man means in the Bible? You don't have to answer that if you don't want to. If you got the answer or take a guess, that's okay. But, you know, you think about it. We are men. You, you might be able to describe to me what a worldly perspective of a man is, but can you even tell me what the biblical word man means? We're going to look at that today. So what is a man? Genesis chapter 2. You're going to have to be quick because this is the part I usually recommend people not to do. Is I'm going to use a lot more scripture than I recommend usually. But in Genesis chapter 2, God says, verse 7, he says, Then the Lord God formed a man. From the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So God himself uses the word man, which is very different than the word mankind, by the way. Mankind can be man, woman, can be anybody. But the word man actually means a male. A male right? It's a man like you and I, right? It's, it's, the word is ish in Hebrew. It's ish. But what's amazing about it is that word actually describes what a man is. Right, for you and I, if we're reading the Old Testament, we just see the word man. We don't, we don't really put much emphasis in that word. We might be looking at something else, how God had formed something. But you know, he didn't just form anything. He formed man. And he created us and formed us for a specific purpose. Right. 
That's why I said a little bit ago, when, when, I, when I'm, the fact I'm in Columbus, Ohio, not this moment, but living in Columbus, Ohio, the fact that I feel absolute clarity of why I'm there and my purpose helps me through some serious, serious situations. Right? Because when you know what your purpose is and why you're doing what you do, I mean, it helps bring so much clarity and confidence in being who God has called you to be. So in this word, the Hebrew word, you know, the first letter in the word is, is Aleph, right? And that word represents God. So in the word of man, we already find God in you, right? So the second letter is a yod. And the yod is a really small letter. And it just kind of hangs there. It doesn't touch the bottom. It doesn't touch the top. It just hangs there. And what that represents is the mind of man. So as a man, you need to be a thinker, Right? So as a man, you're a thinker. As a matter of fact, you don't just think about anything. You're meant to think about God. And when we choose not to take the quality that God has given us as a man and not think about God, we're choosing to think about self. And what I found out as a man is when I start thinking about self and what pleases me, it gets me in a whole lot of trouble. So I've learned I've got to always strive to keep my eyes, my heart, my mind fixed on Jesus. In everything that I do, I've got to focus on what Jesus wants me to do. Because the times I fall short, I blow it. Matter of fact, Ephesians 6, that's what that's all about. This battle isn't against flesh and blood. The battle isn't about the physical sin that you struggle with. It's about the heart of the mind. It's about what we think. See, half our battle can be won if you are thinking the way God wants you to think. Right? And that's what we're supposed to do. As men... God is supposed to be present in our lives, and we're, start, we're supposed to be thinking, what does God desire of me? Right? Even 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, right? Because, you know, you see, we don't look at what is seen, but what is unseen. The last word, shin, or the last letter of the word is shin. And in that letter is a three parts. It's actually shaped like a W. And that three part is what connects my worldly self to God. Right? It's what connects. It's because when I realize when I'm struggling, when I'm not living up the man that I need to be, that, that I have a God who's still there. He desires to be with me. Matter of fact, it's the same concept you find in Luke chapter 15. You know what's in Luke chapter 15? The prodigal son. Remember what happened in Luke 15? I love using that scripture with the idea of repentance, right? Because repentance, Luke does an amazing job of teaching us about repentance. Matter of fact, he gives us examples, he describes it, he defines it, and he uses the prodigal son to show us what it's like to think like God. The prodigal son came to the point he realized, man, I'm at my bottom, I'm at the low, but I have a father who can offer me more. And what I love about that is God knew that you and I would fail as a man, but he wants us to know that he is always there. And it always begins with just remembering, I, though I'm a man and I fall short, I'm a sinner, that I have God there that I could always turn to. What I love about that is actually in the Old Talmud, the Jewish teachers, they would teach this story, but Jesus changed the story when he told the story about the prodigal son. Because in the story, when you, know, when you recognize you needed God, you needed to go to him. But in the story of the prodigal son, God says, I will meet you where you're at. Wow, yeah. right? I will come out to you. And so often as a man, I think, you know, I fail my sin, the things that I struggle with, hinders me from our relationship with God when the reality is when I recognize I'm not living up to what I need to be living up to it should show my need for God that's why I always try to tell people and it helps me out a lot you know 
yeah, you know what, you may sin, you, you may realize how much of a wretch you really are, but the truth is God only reveals that to us so we can see our need for him. Mm-hmm. I love Hebrews, right? Hebrews 4 talks about God uncovers and lays bare everything to whom must give account. God does that because of his love for us. So at times when you and I feel ashamed from the things that we have done or the failures as a, as a man, God says, I will still protect you and reveal it for you. You ever been called out by something? You ever been too ashamed to confess a sin and, and all of a sudden it comes out on you somehow, some way? That's just God showing his love. Because as a man, we should be man enough to be able to confess our sins because we serve a God who's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, right? First John chapter 1. So we have a God who's able to do it. But, you know, as a man, that's what we do. So, so what, what do we do? As a man, God should be the center of our lives. Right? As a man, I've got to learn to keep my mind fixed on God. And, again, the shin part of that, the last part of that is, is when I fall short, that's how much more I need to rely on my God. And that's what helps define as a man for us. But the, excuse me. The crazy thing is if you remove that yod out of that, those two letters actually spell fire. So basically, it's like if we choose to remove God from our lives, if we choose to think our own way, if we choose not to live in a life that's, that's looking to please God, even though I fail and sin every day, your life is going to burn up. It's just gonna, you're going to end in flames. It's just, it's just going to perish. You can think about that figuratively and literally, Right? So my role as a husband, as a man, I try to lead my wife in a way that though I fall short, I'm constantly trying to bring things back to God. I have to always remember to bring things back to God because my relationship relies on God. And even my relationship with my wife is, relies on God. So I'll give you an example. I've moved more than 75 times in my life. I've moved for the ministry probably 11 times. Now, I will say, even though I was asked a number of times to leave, I never left without being willing to go. So I was never forced. So the, I'm not saying, oh, the ministry, no, no. These were decisions I made. Right. So even though I, I gave the example, I, I told Mike Fontenot three times, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go. I only went, not because Mike asked me, because I believe God wanted me to go. Right. right? So I had to come to, I had to, some decisions to make in my life. As a man, I was going to make a decision that was going to affect my wife and my children, not only them, but my neighbors, the brothers and sisters I fellowship with work or in the church, right? All the things I do, every decision I make is going to be affected. So I've got to make sure that what I'm deciding to do is I'm connecting with God. So in every situation, we made sure we, we left, we moved, because we knew this was what God wanted us to do. Now, even in my, even with the relationship with our kids, if my wife and I ever had a bump, right, it's a polite way of saying argued, we, you know, we fought, right? You know, I always made sure that my kids knew that we had somebody in our life to help us out, right? Because I, I, my kids could see my failures, and they can see where I fall short as a man, but, you know, I, they need to know that I'm still seeking, in, even in my sin and failures, I'm still seeking help. I've got the mind of God on my mind, my heart, that I'm constantly seeking to get this help. So what did God do? He created us in his image to have the mind of Christ, right, for his glory. And even though we fall short, God has created us as men to know that we can always go back to our amazing God. So with that, you know, we're leaders. Because the part of that yod that's in that word man, that means you're the visionary. 
you're the person who's got to connect your thoughts with God, but you're the person also who's got to give vision for your life, for your family. You're the one who dreams, right? You're the, you're the one that tells your wife, your family. You're the one that makes the decisions, right? And you make those decisions, and people know or should know you make those decisions with pursuit of God. So second point, what a man does. Like, well, Bob, didn't you just tell us what a man did? We were supposed to connect with God. We are supposed to trying to always keep our mind on God. Now, that, that's who we are supposed to be. We're supposed to be men who's putting God first in our lives. What we learned in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it's very clear. Genesis actually describes a lot of what we should be doing even today in life, right? So Genesis 2, 15, it says, The Lord God, he took the man, right, Ish, he took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. So you were created to work. Some of you may not like that, right? And I, I'll be honest with you, though. As a minister, I didn't notice it so much before I was a minister, but now as I'm, I'm leading the church, get one, of the, one of the number one things I actually have conversations with the people in the church are people want to move, right? And the number one reason people want to move is for work. And so I'm always, people want to get my advice, but typically as a minister, I'm working behind the eight ball in a sense I, i'm 90 percent of what i do is after the fact like people come to me i made this decision can you give me some input sure. right sure. yeah so 90 percent of what i do i figured it out 90 percent like if you come with me before your decision i can probably help you but if you already made your decision there's not much i can do for you but i will almost always say the same thing is this a kingdom decision Amen. is this a god decision you're making your decision. I'm glad you can find a better job. The Bible doesn't say he created you to work if you like it. Right? It doesn't say he created you to work to, to enjoy it. It doesn't say he created you to work to, 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 to you know, tons of you know, material things and, and things like that. He created us to work because that's what we do as men. Amen. Right? Now, I'm not going to define that like Geoffrey Owens or Jeffrey Owens, right? The brother who, uh, is this, did you hear about the story of the brother who, uh, movie star or he's a star? He, uh, uh, somebody took a picture of him because he works at Starbucks or, or uh, Trader Joe's. And he had a great answer. He's like, you know, it's not about where you work, right? They're making a big deal about where he works. He's like, I'm just, I'm just working. It doesn't matter if I'm making tons of money you know, doing a movie or if I'm working at Trader Joe's. But we put so much emphasis on work. God created us to work, but he created us to work for him. Yeah. Right? So it's not so much about i got to make – you've got to work. We've got to work, but we, we make our decisions based off what God desires for us. Right? Verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. It's not good to be alone. So basically, what he's saying is, is uh, men are leaders. But you know what? You've got to be doing something to need help with it. Right? So if you, if you don't need help, it's because you're not really doing anything. God, God created us men to do things. And, you, and in our independence, we think, I can do this by myself. And then you don't need anybody. God has created us to be a leader. We, we need to be leading the way. Right? We need to lead the way, whether you're married or not. It's, it's, we, we're, we're, we need to be leading to the point where we need help. So God created us to also be a leader. You're, you're going to love this next one. It's one of my favorites, too, actually. Genesis 1, we're going to backtrack just a little bit. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule the world. Well, the fish, the animals, and all that. But still, that's the world at the time. God says, you're going to be a ruler. Think about that. God created us, right? 
He's created us to have what I described as a man a minute ago, that connection with him. That's what makes us a man. Matter of fact, if you looked at the word human in Hebrew and you break that word down, what the difference between a human and an animal is your choice to follow God. An animal, a cat, a dog, one, doesn't have that opportunity to choose to follow they're doing what God, but a human has that chance. The difference of what makes a man of God is somebody who's willing to choose to make God Lord of their lives, right? And so in that process, we got to recognize that God has created us to be workers for him. The second part is God has created us to be leaders. And I know it's crazy, but God has created us to rule. Now, the Hebrew word for rule isn't exactly the way, as cool as it sounds, actually, Right? The English word rule is like, who doesn't want to rule over something? Let me be the ruler. Matter of fact, let me, let me take over Donald's job. I think I can do a better job than him. You know, you might, maybe I don't know if you can or not, but you might be more likable. That's about it. But it means to really, in a sense, to, to be submissive, to put yourself under. Right? Because a real ruler, somebody who's a real king, is the one who actually gets on the ground and, he gets his hands and feet dirty. He actually gets to know his people. Right. right? He's the one in this case, he, he takes care of the animals. How do you think Adam felt like when he's out there cleaning up after the, the cows? Well, I'm supposed to be the ruler. Matter of fact, when I got a job in, in, uh, in, with Hope Worldwide in Philadelphia. Right? And, and, and there's a lot I learned the hard way the first year. But they hired me. And they said, Bob, you're going to be the executive director. I'm like, that sounds awesome. <laughs> I don't know what the executive director does. I mean, can somebody just tell me what it does? They're like, we're actually not sure. Here's a, here's a video. Go home and watch this. And then you'll know what it's It was a new program that they got, and they, they wanted to bring me in. So, all right, all right, we're, we're going to do this. And we end up working with the city, in, in inner, inner city, right? And we're working with the youth. And, and we end up taking a little program of helping a few youth to like 1,000 people a day. And, and so now we've got 1,000 kids. And now all of a sudden we're, we're having different Saturday academies. We're, we're bringing kids into the church. We're serving them. We're taking care of them. But on Saturday mornings, not just Saturday mornings, but a number of mornings, I made sure, though I was the executive director. That's pretty cool, right? To be the first one to show up. Well, I don't know if you ever came to any of our programs, but you probably didn't see the feces in the front door. Mm. I remember one time as I get there, there was no way I was going to have my staff coming in and I was going to have these kids coming in with feces and urine and, and, and needles on the front porch. So I made sure I would go early every morning, right? And I remember out there one time on a Saturday morning, and I'm scraping up this feces thinking, I'm supposed to be executive director. <laughs> I'm supposed to be executive director. Is this what executive directors should be doing? But it was amazing because though the, I had to earn a lot of trust, by the end of that program, I had the senator, I had the senator, I had the state rep, I had people come to me and say, Bob, we've never seen a program like this before. Like, all I did was pick up feces. <laughs> I, I was, all I did was organize things and made sure the ground was clean before. I really do. But it was like, I had to put myself in a place where I wasn't just ruling, dictating what people need to be doing. As a man who's also, it's called lead, and lead in a way that we can have helpers. I need to be setting the example right. and being out there and taking care Great of those. Yeah, we learn in uh, Matthew 20. It says, you know, verse 25, it says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you. Not you, man of God. That's not how we are. We don't, we don't exhort authority over people. Matter of fact, if we want to be a man of God, imitate Jesus. Right? Wasn't Jesus the greatest example of a man as he got down and washed feet? It's very different than the Seinfeld episodes where there's nothing about nothing. 
right? Or the Homer Simpson who's just mindless, the bumbling idiot. No, it's, it's a servant. He says, not you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. The greatest men serve. That's right. That's how we lead. You know, we're, we're given a responsibility as men to make sure we're connected with God first. That's the number one thing we do in life. No matter how successful you are, no matter how much of a failure you might consider yourself, no matter where you think you're at in life, all you need to focus on is your relationship with God. And that's the most important thing. And then recognize, with that relationship, God has given you some responsibilities. Right? And that responsibility, I want to remind you again, you're a leader. You are a leader in your community. You're not just a leader for anything but Jesus. You're a leader for Jesus. There's a brother that uh, got married years ago, and, and uh, we, we were told by our evangelists at the time that my wife and I was going to be discipling them. Right? So we, they came back from their honeymoon. I was told to go pick them up from the airport. We picked them up. They get in the car and like, oh, you must be our new disciples. Uh, how'd you know that? Well, you picked us up. I just assumed you were giving us the, giving that responsibility. I said, well, yeah, you're right. That's, that was, that's so true. We're actually very close friends. I didn't, he's actually here today. I don't know if he's in a crowd. So you can't tell him this story if I accidentally say his name. No, I'm just kidding. I share it all the time. But anyhow, so he gets married. One of our first conversations was, it's awesome. Right? The God has entrusted you with a wife. Go figure, right? Right? I said, I just want to remind you something, though. Do you remember when you made Jesus Lord? He's like, yeah. I said, I just want to remind you, God has given you more responsibility. But your commitment never changes. Right? So the commitment you made to Jesus before you got married is the same commitment. But God has now entrusted you as a leader, as a man, to take on this responsibility. A year or so goes by, he gets his wife pregnant. So, I get to have another talk with you. How's that, brother? God has blessed you with an amazing wife, and now you're going to have a kid? That's awesome. I just want to remind you of one thing. God has given you more responsibility, but your commitment to Christ as a man does not change. A couple years later, his wife got pregnant again. Same conversation. A couple years later, his wife got pregnant again. Four pregnancies, four conversations. Man, you know, we, we as men, we get so much responsibility, we start thinking a little highly of ourselves, right? But our commitment as a man to God does not change. Amen. Our commitment to serve God and give it doesn't change. Now, you have more responsibility, which means you need to be more of a man of God, which anything I've learned about being married is I need God in my life. Amen. Because, man, I, I fall into that last part of the man and ish, right, where I realize I'm struggling. So I need, you know, how many times you've been there where you're like, I don't know what to do with this situation, God. Whether you're married or not, we find ourselves in the situations, but only God's the one that's going to get us out. So we've got to be men that's willing to make sure we're putting God first. So your workers, your leaders, and God has given you the responsibility of ruling the world, serving, right? Point three, a man among men, a man among men. We're going to get just a slightly deeper here. Ezekiel chapter 22. Now, we just talked about in Genesis what a man is, right? We just, the definition of a man. We just defined it, right? As a man, we are to be connected with God. We are to try to focus on keeping our mind on Christ. Even when we fall short, we should always know that we, we need to be trying to seek God. Ezekiel 22 verse 30, it says, God says, and I sought for a man. 
God says, I'm looking for you. I am looking for a man. And here's what he wants a man to do. I'm looking for a man among them that should build up a wall and stand in the gap for me for the land. That I should not destroy the very thing that I have found. God says, you know what? He wants men who's going to take a stand for him. Right? And by taking a stand for him, we're taking a stand for others. When's the last time you found yourself on your knees crying out for a, a somebody to be saved or, or somebody to be healed or you're just being that person that's filling in the gap, right? That's what men do. That may not be the way the world project, you know, projects us to be, but as men, God is looking for men to stand in the gap. Did you know, back in the day, in the walls, in the gaps they had in the walls, they would actually put a warrior. So really, in a sense, a man is a warrior for God. Right? But they... They wouldn't be stupid enough to put anybody in that gap, right? Because when you're put in a gap, you are to protect what's inside that wall. That's like a, what a leader does, right? A leader protects. A leader serves. But you don't just put anybody in that wall. God is looking for somebody who's willing to lay his life down. And the only person who lays their life down is somebody who sees that their life isn't worth as much as what they're laying their life down for. That means you've got to value something more than yourself. And unfortunately, the world shows us that we only value ourselves, right? That's why you can't drive down the road without seeing a billboard with some woman half naked, right? That's why you can't flip on the TV without seeing because they don't think you can think past this picture that they're putting before you, right? They don't think you can say no to ungodliness. So it's constantly there. Constantly there. So God is looking for a man that will stand in that gap. So in Hebrew, the word wall, gadar. I just want to share a little bit about what this word is. This, this word does describe that man. It describes a man who's willing to say, you know what, God, I will. I will protect the church. God, I, I will stand up and I will protect the innocent. I will protect my wife. I will protect that brother. I will protect that sister. It's great. I said in the elders class earlier, and Walter talked about an elder. One of the things an elder's responsibility to do is, is you've got to be the one that's going to be able to protect everybody regardless of where the weakest person in the church is. He didn't say it that way, by the way. I'm paraphrasing what he said. But he's like, somebody has to do that. And, and though we all should be that person, that's the elder's job, is to make sure they're standing in the gap and standing even for the least of us. Right? So this man, you know, he, he's chosen to stand in the gap. And this, the, first part, the first letter in this word is, is, is a gimel. And this gimel, which is the one that, that takes a stand for others. Right? So the first part of this is, is somebody who's willing to take a stand. Now, now, if I ask you to take a stand for yourself, brother, we're going to remove your paycheck. We're going to need you to work for next month for free. You cool with that? Oh, yeah, no, no, no. You're going to take a stand, right? You know, we're willing, but what if you're going to take a stand? So they're not just going to put anybody in the gap to take a stand. They're going to take a man who's going to be willing to take a stand for somebody else. Right? So God says, I'm looking. I'm looking for men who's willing to take a stand, not just for yourself, but for somebody else. A man does it. You know how he does it with his description? He does it with his words. Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm a man of few words. I prefer just to do something and get it over with. Right? And he says, as a man who does it, his words protect those he's protecting. So this man's standing there. So, what he's, so somebody approaches this gap and somebody's wanting to get into the, into the place where he's protecting. He's like, and he approaches them first in words, not for his own good, but for the protection of those inside the walls. 
And he does. What kind of words do you think this man uses? His own words? Can you actually protect the wall? No, but I know a God who can. My God can protect the wall. And if I'm being the man that we looked at in point one, then I'm not just here to protect the church because of who I am. I'm here to do it for God. I know what God desires for me. I know what God wants for me is, is he's called me to protect the church. As he's called me to protect my wife. He's called me to be a protector. The second letter, the Dalit, right? This is a man who, who uh, is able to keep people out and let people in. So here, here's a man who's willing to discern what is best, right? One of my favorite scriptures, Philippians 1, 9, right? I pray that you, your love will grow more and more in knowledge and depth and insight so you're able to discern what's best, right? So you can remain pure and blameless till the day Jesus comes back. That's my ending on it, Jesus comes back. Because what's that prayer for? It's for the church. As men, we've got to be able to discern what is best for the church. You know, I love, you know, we all love the scripture, was it? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, right? That, uh, uh, that we we're all experiencing the same kind of sin, right? And uh, God always gives us a way to escape the sin. You know, that's a communal, that's communal. You finish going down there, you find out he gives us the way through one another. Right? When, when I'm struggling as a man, I know i got other men I can depend on that's going to be able to be there to help me out. But not everything is permissible. Well, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. So how do I decide? I decide what's best for the church. So this man knows how to be discerning and how he looks at people. So what that means is he doesn't just look at the outward appearance. Right? So what do people do today? They measure each other up. Right? They measure like, who's faster, who's taller, who's better at this. Right? The, a spiritual man looks at the spiritual side of things. It's very easy for us to come to the conclusion if somebody's right or wrong or in sin. But it takes a lot of time and effort and care and leadership to spend time to look at the heart. To get to the heart of the situation. So he's able to discern. You know, it's funny. I, um, it made me think as I was putting this lesson together. We had a sister in the church years ago, a single sister. Well, she was married, actually. Her husband wasn't a disciple, right? And so, but her husband was known for being violent. By, he, he was known for putting his hands on her. And so as of this church, we're trying to do everything we can to protect this sister, right? We're, but there's only so much we can do. So we're telling her, you know, you know, we're trying to give her all the advice. We're praying for you. Take care of this. If he gets too physical, whatever, you call the police. But, you know, there's really not much more that we could do. So sure enough, one night he, he gets very physical with her. She's able to get to the phone. She called the police. Please come. In the state of Ohio, domestic dispute means somebody gets arrested. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Somebody will always be separated and most likely will go to jail. They take this guy and they lock him up. So we're trying to comfort this sister. We realize as a church there's not much we can do. Back before I was a Christian, I had a lot of things I could have done. But as a Christian, I can't do any of those things. All right? So, so me and another brother is like, I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go to the jail, and we're going to pick him up when they release him. Wow. Don't, don't plan on getting him home. This guy had hurt you. He physically abused you. Don't plan on helping him out. Don't worry. I will go to the jail, and I will have a talk with him at the jail. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's not like I can work like the old days, but, but I can at least try. So we get there. He comes out. He didn't seem too worried. A little concerned why we were there to pick him up. He gets in the car, and here's where the wisdom comes in. 
is we didn't drive off. We had our talk before we left the jailhouse, just in case he decided, you know, he's a little man, more manly than he thought he was. And so we let him know, hey, your wife, I understand she's your wife, and I don't really have any control on how you treat her, but she's also my sister. Amen. And don't you ever, ever put your hands on my sister again. I said everything I could do with being Bible-thumping it all. You know, whatever I could do just to let him know. I, I, I'm not threatening you as an individual, as a Christian. You know what I mean? I'm here to love you. I'm, I'm sharing this information with you to help you as well. But I'm here to protect my sister. That you should never put your hands on her. Unfortunately, about a year later, he almost killed her. He ended up in prison for a number of years. So though that talk didn't help, but I, but I knew we had to do something. I can't just tell her, you know what, we're praying for you. Right. Now, I'm really sorry you're going through all that kind of stuff. But as a man of God, you know, I'm just not going to give you words. Yeah. Right? I know it all sounds cool. Yeah. Just want you to know I'm praying for you. Yeah. No, but when you go that extra mile, when you put yourself out there as a leader, when you, when you are that ruler, when you're the person that kind of submits under that, you, really, you take some responsibility is really what I'm saying here. Yeah. Right? We take some, I wasn't in the ministry, by the way, when I did this. The brother who went with me wasn't in the ministry. He's like, oh, Bob, you're the minister. No, no, no. No, no. We weren't in the ministry. But she was my sister. Amen. And I knew we needed to do something. So at least we made an effort to try to get with him to share. So as brothers, you know, we, we're leading. We've, we've got to take some action with what we're doing. But we've got to do it in a godly way. Amen. We've got to make sure we're doing a godly way. The last letter of this word is Resh. It says he must continue to examine his own life. See, the man who's asked to stand in the gap is a man who's been willing to discern what's best for the church or for who's inside the wall, but a man who's humble enough to examine his own life. The, the, a man who's willing to take input and advice, right? Not just for your own good. You've got to see the bigger picture than who we are as individuals. Right? right? God, God has connected you as a man to make an impact in so many places around the world, in your part of the world at least, that people are watching you and trying to find out what kind of man you are because they, they're comparing you to Homer Simpson. They're comparing you to Seinfeld. They're comparing you to two and a half men. They're comparing you to what they watched in the news last night. They're comparing you to the, the religious person that knocked on their door yesterday. They're comparing you to all this. And so all you can do is show them that you are a man of God. You're, you're, you're pursuing God in all these areas. And you're humble enough to get input. I love, we just came back from Indonesia, right? And we got some brothers here who went to Indonesia with us. The humility of our brothers and sisters was convicting. They laid down their lives and served us and gave. I mean, it was, it was convicting. I mean, I, was, I wasn't in Indonesia about 12 hours, and I'm calling back. What's happened, actually? What's happened back to Columbus? I'm like, very convicted. I'm like, uh, we have a speaker coming in this week. Uh, can you guys make sure you greet them? Can you guys make sure you reach out? Now, I knew the church was going to do that, but I'm like, but you don't understand what I mean. Because <laughs> when I'm here, I got like 30 people who show up at the airport. They won't let me carry my luggage. They take it down here, and I can't go without something to drink because they're constantly giving me water. They're constantly meeting my needs. They're constantly doing this. I'm like, if they just say thank you one more time, I need to be thanking you. Brother, don't say thank you one more time. I don't care. <laughs> right? And then they go, sorry, 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 sorry. I'm like, okay, <laughs> thank you, sorry. Look, the humility. The humility and the willingness. And they're like, Bob, can you please just give us input in my relationship with my wife? Bob, can you please help me in my Bible talk? Can you, can you, please? hopefully I'm not giving an accent. Was I sorry I'm giving an accent? I don't want to be offensive like that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm like, man, 
man, I want to learn from you. You guys just baptized 100 people last year. We baptized 13 in our little church. If you could just tell me. You know, like, no, no, we, we need to learn from you. We need to learn from I'm like, oh, just so humble. Am I right? The humility, I come back convicted. I'm like, oh, my goodness. That's a rush. That's a man of God. And I want to tell you, I got the, I got the privileges. It's, it's going around multiple cities. You're supposed to stop me here soon. You're not doing a good job watching the time. So, okay. I got two points left, so we got we to gotta hurry this thing up. And so what was I saying before you run, mess, mess me up? Who's rush? All right. So that's what a rush. That's a, that's a man that you know. So I, I actually knew what I was saying. I just want to know if anybody was listening. Right there. Right there. There you go. Right there. So I'll just assume you were keeping track of time. <laughs> All right, we got to jump at the last point. Okay, we just got to do this. I got to have time for this. Four point. God created you for greatness. You were created for, you know what? Maybe no one's good, but God created you for greatness. God didn't give man all these responsibilities for him just to flounder and think he just needs to have a good career, drive a nice car, have two kids and a white picket fence. God never planned that. God created you for greatness. He created every man, particularly the men of God, for greatness. Matthew 18, verse 1, it says, At the time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who? He called a little child to him and placed a child among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of a child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such as these may my, in my name welcomes me. So who's the greatest? You know what I love about this is he says it whosoever. He's saying it as like whoever wants to be this great man can be that great man. You know what I realized? What hinders us from being the man of God that God desires is desire to do it. Do you desire to live up to this expectation? Because here's the thing is on the worldly perspective, right? He's like, yes, man, if I could be as fast as that running back, if I could be as good singer as that singer, if I could be a whatever, right, fill in the blanks. I was going to have those of you with jerseys stand up, but I don't really see any, which is, ruins, ruins man, a part of this. because, Yeah, because we're man of God. Because <laughs> we desire greatness so much that we'll, we'll wear a jersey with somebody else's name on it. <laughs> right? We'll wear something with somebody else's name. Now, we do have other, I had my high State thing on yesterday. But we expect greatness so much that we don't, we, it's not like we walk around thinking, I'm going to be great for God. We'll, we'll actually lift up somebody else who we think is great. That's how much we desire. And God has offered greatness to all of it. He's just like, whosoever wants it. Whoever wants to be great can be great. But they'd be great for God. God has offered for us to be great for him. Matthew 20. Jesus called them to set his disciples. Verse 25. You know that the rulers of the world of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority of them, but not so with you. Whoever wants to become great. He's given an invitation there. He's telling his disciples, whoever wants to become great can be great. Right? It's like we have an opportunity to be great from the very God who's created us to be great. But he says, how you become great is you must be a servant. I don't know, Jesus. I mean, uh, cleaning up feces outside of a door isn't really my idea of executive director. You know, I mean, that is, 
It's, it's in certain circles, I told me, hey, I'm an executive director. Or I used to own three companies. I did really well. That was really cool. Well, and tell them it was the hard work that went with that. Right? So, Jesus, I, I, I want to be great, but man, serving is really hard to do. Protecting is not easy as it sounds. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be great, this is what I've made you great to be. You are a great man of God who is called to be an amazing servant, who is called to be an amazing leader, who is called to be the man who's going to stand in the gap. Not for yourself, because what makes people great is not what they do for themselves, it's what they do for others. And that's what makes us great for God, is how we serve God for Him, but for the benefit of others. I'm just going to end it right there. Do you guys want to be great for God? The greatest among us are those who serve. It's just a choice. It's choosing to be great for God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we're able to even open up your word, to dig deep, to study it out. Father, help us to take to heart really what you've called us. But Father, more importantly, help us to have faith that you have created us to be men that will serve you, that will protect, Father, you. Ultimately, God, all that we get to do and how we serve is really not only just helping and being a benefit to others, really what you're asking us to do is to protect your heart. So, Father, as we serve, as we give, as we lead, as we just choose to keep our eyes and our heart and our mind fixed on you, Father, that we're motivated by doing it for you and nothing else. Help us, Father, to be the very men you've called us to be. Help us to say no to ungodliness. Help us to to say no to Satan's schemes. Help us to believe the truth. Help us to apply that part of your scriptures that tell us, Father, that, that even though we may be like the prodigal son, that it's the change of mind that helps change his mind to know that he can always come back to such an amazing God. We're so grateful that you've given us that opportunity. We're grateful that you are that amazing God who has called us to be great men for you. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.